I'm Damian Volwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, concern as a new virus variant arrives in the Bay Area. California Governor Gavin Newsom revealed on Wednesday that a coronavirus mutation that was first found in South Africa has been identified now in Alameda County in one patient and in another in Santa Clara County. That variant is worrying because the current vaccines that are being rolled out do not seem to be as effective in fighting it. Chronicle Health reporter Aaron Alday is back. Aaron, thanks for coming on again. Thanks for having me again, Damien. So Aaron, you have been writing a lot about the race to get the coronavirus under control, the race to get vaccines in people's arms. And part of the reason is because these variants are on their way and they could really complicate things. So give us the latest on this new variant uh, from South Africa. Yeah, so you're exactly right. Um, you know, we are in this race, which, you know, multiple kind of folks that I talked to refer to it exactly that way, that we, what we want to do is get as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible so that we stop letting these new variants that could potentially be really problematic kind of either let them emerge, kind of let the virus mutate and form new variants, or let these ones that already exist kind of come into our communities and get a real foothold and and cause some real problems. Um you know, the big concern now with the news today of this this variant from South Africa coming in is this is one of a couple now that seems to, you know, where our, our bodies are not as effective at fending it off, either from natural immunity, um, from having previously been infected with the virus, um, or from, from vaccines. Now, I, I want to make it clear the vaccines that we have are still, they're still great. Like, our vaccines are really really powerful that we have. They're like 95% effective against the original virus. So even if we do lose some some efficacy, which it seems like we do against this variant, you know, we're talking about going from 95% to, you know, nobody really knows what the answer is there. But the point is, they're not going to go down to zero, we're still going to have protection from the vaccines that exist. But you know, the concern is once you get these variants in here that aren't as responsive to our vaccines, that kind of drags everything out. It means it's going to take a little bit longer for us to reach herd immunity, um, potentially. It means we might have to vaccinate more people in order to reach her, like reach herd immunity. Um, it just means that like it creates more hurdles in sort of a process that's already that's already been really, really bumpy um, in terms of vaccinating everybody and, and getting this thing under control. So, you know, I think the message is still to people, we're going to get there. Like these variants don't stop us from from seeing kind of an end game to this pandemic. But they do if they if they we get a lot more of them and they get a foothold, they could make it a lot harder to get there. OK, I want to make sure. I understand. So when you say something is, you know, 80% or 90% effective, does that mean that if it, if it is not effective, that you're going to get sick? Or would you still maybe get less sick uh, if you are vaccinated or inoculated against it? Those are really good questions. Um, and those are questions that are being explored right now. Um, a lot of the work that they've done so far is in the labs. So all that we know really is that these variants, uh, this variant in particular, it affects sort of the immune response that's mounted by the vaccine. So when you're vaccinated, it causes these antibodies to kind of spring up um, so that they're able to, to quickly fend off um, infection. Um, and what we know is that these this this variant 
um, affects that immune response. So we get a little bit less strong of an immune response. But, you know, we suspect that it may still, I mean, it may still be enough to fully fend it off in most people. Um, it may be that um, it's just fewer people are going to be protected. So maybe, you know, you and I are somewhat more likely to actually get a symptomatic case. Um, those are all questions that that we're still figuring out. There's just, it's it's a lot of complicated stuff. So I think that the, the sad thing is that the when we talk about it reducing uh, the effectiveness of the vaccines, we don't exactly know how that plays out yet. All we know is that the vaccines, they do still work. They do still provide some protection. They seem to do a really good job still of preventing very serious disease and death, which, of course, is what we all want most of all with our vaccines. Um, so we should all feel pretty you know, reassured by that. We just don't know like what that means um, as far as you know, can you get sick at all? Can you get sick with an asymptomatic case and spread it on to others? Um, you know, all of those questions we're still figuring out. The other thing we've seen with the South African variant um, is that people in South Africa who had been previously infected, um, it seems like they can be reinfected with this one. So that kind of suggests that it's it's resistant also to our natural immunity. So when you get that kind of natural mm. immunity from infection, this variant can get around that a little bit. Okay, a couple more basic questions, Aaron. First off, why do we call it the South Africa variant? Why do we call it the UK variant? Is this is this the place where um, it, where it first mutated? Yeah, so that's another great question. And first of all, I should point out that even though I'm using the the phrase South African variant, um, we do try to avoid that um, kind of naming these things after a location, a geography um, that kind of gets us into troubled ter territory. It's the same reason we don't want to refer to this coronavirus as the China virus, right? Like these are kind of problematic um, um, phrases to kind of blame a region for a variant. Um, and they're also oftentimes not entirely accurate. So for example, the variant from South Africa, it's named that it's referred to that way because that's where it was found and discovered. And that's where it's believed to have sort of sprung up from just randomly circulating around there. But for all we know, it actually came up somewhere else. And that was just happened to be in South Africa that they first identified it. Same with the variant from the United Kingdom. That's where they identified it. The United Kingdom does really good surveillance for this kind of stuff. So they may have just found it first and it may have come up somewhere else. And then, of course, we have our, our pair of California homegrown variants. Um, and those are known to have first come up in other countries. It's just that they kind of blew up in California and have since been identified here a lot. And so they've come to be known as the California uh, variants. Another question, Aaron, for this variant, if, if we know the vaccines aren't as effective against it, but what about pure contagiousness? So that um, with this South African uh, variant, the, the variant from South Africa, um, we do believe that it is more infectious. Um, it seems to spread a little bit easier um, and faster. Um, I think that there still is kind of study being done on that in terms of how much more infectious it is. Um, the the variant from the United Kingdom, on the other hand, we've done a lot of, we have a lot of research on that. We know for a fact that that one is a lot more infectious, um, roughly between 30% and 70%, depending on conditions. So, um, but but we but we see, definitely see signs that the one from South Africa is also more infectious. Um, and, you know, again, like what that means is when they get into our communities, um, it's just that much harder to to kind of control these um, and get our surges, get our cases under control. 
I feel like we need a better naming system for these variants, though, Aaron. Kind of like hurricanes. The naming system is honestly, like it's something like I joke about with the scientists that I interview. Everybody hates it. Everybody's frustrated by it. Even the scientists that work with these these variants are <laughs> really uh, annoyed by all the the naming, the nomenclature. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, more with Aaron Alday on Fifth and Mission. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. Welcome back. I'm Damian Bulwa, director of news at the San Francisco Chronicle, joined by health reporter Aaron Alday again, walking us through the new variant from South Africa. Aaron, walk us through a little bit about how they discover these um, there was a lag time. Um, we are just learning of it, and 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 you've written about genomic sequencing, which is it, it has not been at the highest level in the United States, and might might get us these results quicker and and could help us probably. Yeah, right? exactly right. Um, so it's it's kind of a it's kind of a complicated process for how they identify these variants, um, and we certainly could speed that up. It would help a lot if we could speed that up and, and quickly identify these variants. Um, just to walk you through the process with this one. So um, there's a lab at Stanford um, that is doing um, this kind of surveillance for new variants. They set up a few weeks ago specifically to try to find these variants and tell the counties when they came up. So what they do at this lab is um, they have identified specific mutations um, so kind of changes in the genetic code of these variants that they can quickly screen for. So when you're tested for the coronavirus, they're able to basically do similar testing to that and quickly find just these these markers that jump out in their screening technique, which takes just a couple hours. And if they find these markers, that's sort of a red flag that this could be a variant. And so once um, a, a sample is, is identified as having one of these red flag markers, they then put it through the genomic sequencing process, which takes several days. And that's where they kind of lay out the entire kind of um, genetic code of the ind- of the actual virus itself. Um, and once they have that code, which again takes several days, then they can know for sure that this is one of the variants that has been identified um, or maybe, you know, potentially a, a brand new variant. Um, but between the time it takes them to kind of get the samples ready, do the screening, and then they they want to do this genomic sequencing in batches, right? So they wait until they have several that they want to do at once. So the whole kind of process from start to finish takes, in this case, to identify these cases from South Africa, um, took about seven to 10 days, I'm told, from the Stanford lab. So the problem with that is you know, by the time they find out that, that this variant, you know, that these people were, were positive for this variant, they're, they're not sick anymore. They're already kind of over their illness. Um, so we can't do anything special, like through contact tracing, or really kind of button down quarantine processes to make sure that these folks don't expose anyone else that we really kind of lock that down and do all the things that we should be doing to prevent, you know, the spread of disease. So we do know in this case, in the Santa Clara case, um, the individual was somebody who had recently traveled. Santa Clara County has a very strict post-travel quarantine. And this person, we're told, was um, exquisitely um, 
obedient to that is 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 what the the county health officer wow. said. So this person was really well behaved. They lived with one other person in their house, um, but they didn't go out at all. Like they were seriously locked down. And so the risk of that person passing on this new variant to somebody else and sort of triggering community spread is basically non-existent. The Alameda County case, they're still investigating. So we just don't know if that, you know, person, where that person got it and if that person could have infected other people. And that's, again, where you ideally would want to be able to identify those cases really fast, as quickly as we can through sequencing, and then kind of go through and and just make sure that they're really paying close attention to all those procedures to uh, to not spread to others. So can we speed that up? Is there a way to do it? Well, one thing we could do, I mean, we could we could get a lot more labs um, involved in this. So if we, you know, we're California, we have a lot of biotech, we have a lot of labs, commercial, academic, um, public health labs that are capable of doing this kind of work. But right now it's like a patchwork. Um, it's really disorganized. We don't have a lot of funding for it. So we just haven't been doing very much sequencing at all or not nearly what we need to be doing. So we could get a lot more of those labs kind of online, get them coordinated, get it really kind of um, done in a very kind of concentrated way. The other thing we could be doing is these these screening processes that are so much quicker. Um, you know, we're quickly learning that we can use those to identify these suspect cases much faster than the the sequencing process can take. So once we feel confident that we can do this kind of quick turnaround screening and find like these kind of troubling signs that this person may be an infected with a new variant, you know, that could potentially be worked into our contact tracing programs um, and, you know, help us kind of contain at least these new variants from from spreading widely in our communities. So, Aaron, I think what what frightens me is that if if you have variants that are more or less contagious and then you have some that are more or less um, effective in terms of the vaccine, whether it's possible that that variants in the future could be even more so, that variants in the future could be even more untouchable by the vaccine. Yeah, I think that's definitely something everyone's concerned about, um, that that's there's there's a lot of potential for that. Um, the good news is that our vaccines that that the manufacturers have developed, um, they can be tweaked really easily. Um, they they can actually get in there and kind of shake up the recipe to uh, to address new variants. Um, honestly, like I'm told they can make those changes like practically overnight. Um, it wouldn't be that quick to then, you know, get the approval for them and manufacture them and get the shots into arms. I mean, it wouldn't be an easy process. It'd be a, a real pain in the butt. But that exists. Um, and so that's, you know, what we're looking at there is potentially, you know, a, an influenza situation where, you know, influenza, we all know well, changes constantly. We have to get new flu shots every single year, partly because it, it mutates so frequently. So in theory, we could be faced with a situation where, yeah, new variants are popping up and we have to kind of constantly, um, you know, refix or, or, or readjust the, the vaccines to account for that. Um, we're a ways away from that. We don't really know if that's going to happen, if that's going to be a concern. And, you know, the good news is also we we probably do carry some kind of lingering immunity as this goes on. So the kind of the the more people are vaccinated, the more kind of people are exposed to this, we will get some sort of built-in immunity that will probably make this less and less of, of kind of a deadly threat um, as time goes on. And when you talk about potentially a change in the recipe of the of the vaccine shot, if that's that's probably the wrong word, but if I could, no, that's <laughs> fine. Just go for okay. it. Okay, are we talking about a new series of shots, or are we talking about some kind of booster shot? 
I mean, that's the same deal. A booster shot would be, you know, it's, it's, I mean, but they call it a booster shot um, because it would be, you know, an extra shot on top of the one that people have already gotten. Um, but it's, it's basically just, you know, it's another dose. Um, and it's, I, I don't think that it would be like, um, you know, everybody who didn't already kind of get vaccinated earlier would need to get, you know, three shots versus two versus one. I mean, all of those things, I think we just kind of have to see how they play out. But um, it would probably like what it might mean is say in the fall, if we have a variant or even this this variant from South Africa proves to be really good at escaping vaccines, which we don't think is the case. Um, you know, it may be that like our really vulnerable folks might get one more shot in the arm in the fall. Um, that would probably be the kind of scenario we'd be looking at. All right, Aaron. Well, thanks. Um, hopefully you can work on getting uh, some new names for these variants. We're working on it. I'm next doing time, my best. Next time we speak. Okay. The Damien, the Damien variant. The hurricane. Bulwa. Yeah. Hurricane Damien. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming back. We always appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Damien. Thanks to my guest today, Chronicle Health reporter Aaron Alday, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. <laughs> 